G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, we love to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby, get their thoughts on what's happening with the political agenda for the coming week. So we're all up to date, starting a week, understanding what's happening behind the scenes while COVID-19 is dominating the headlines. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, a special welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, our heart breaks for Victorians who are under really deep restrictions right now and and looking like they'll be in place for the next six weeks, and it might be six weeks at least. Uh, these extra restrictions across Melbourne and uh, throughout Victoria, uh, what are your thoughts on, on what's been happening in Victoria? Well, yeah, first of all, Neil, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to the people that are going to have to be stuck in their homes uh, for the next six weeks. We've got staff in, in Melbourne. Uh, I've got good friends in Victoria. Um, but, yeah, the state of disaster, uh, that, that's what's happened. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, it means that there's a curfew from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m., which, gosh, in a free country, that's a pretty extraordinary thing to have. Um, you're allowed to have your home only for one hour a day for exercise. Um, and it has to be within five kilometres of your house. Shopping is limited to one person per household per day. Uh, weddings are banned altogether. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's big. And one of the other things that people overlook is the uh, powers that the state of disaster confers on government agencies. And, for example, the police minister has the power to override any law. Um, now, there's limits on that in terms of the reasons that he has to have for doing so, but nonetheless, um, it, uh, it, 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 that's a big deal uh, and can override those laws and can take coordination and control of the government and its agencies uh, because of the state of disaster. So this is a, this is a huge call. Um, and I understand why it's happening. I understand that politically, um, Daniel Andrews will be toast if he doesn't be seen to be doing as much as possible. Um, but I think that's driven a lot by people's fears. I think people are afraid uh, of the impacts of this pandemic. Uh, I think that there is a, is a mantra out there that we're keeping each other safe. It's all about safety. Uh, but I'm sitting back and looking at this and scratching my head, and, and maybe I'm in the minority, but I, I think I wonder whether the world's going mad. Uh, I look at the coronavirus situation around the world. It looks terrible because all we see is the number of coronavirus cases you know, emblazoned in the headlines every day. But we don't see the whole picture in that. Um, I, for example, looked at Sweden the other day, uh, or yesterday, in fact, and Sweden was the most laissez-faire in its approach to uh, coronavirus. They did not lock down, uh, and they basically got on with life as usual. And it's interesting to see that Sweden is through the wave of the pandemic. Uh, the death rate's gone effectively down to zero now. And I looked at that, and I did some numbers and crunched the stats, and it turns out that in the most laissez-faire of approaches to coronavirus, and they, they really held their nerve because it got looked serious there for a while, um, 90, a, a Swede had a 99.95% chance of surviving the pandemic. 
Um, and if you were a Swede who wasn't elderly and didn't have an underlying health condition, you had a more than 99.99% chance of surviving the pandemic. And the government has said, look, we should have made provision for the elderly, and that really would have helped. But otherwise, we think we did the right thing. And I sit there and look at that, and I think that's not an unusual statistic around the world. 99.99% is common out there. And I look at the damage we are doing to ourselves. I mean, this must be the safest pandemic we've ever had. Um, and the unbelievable damage we're doing with the destruction of the economy, uh, with the, um, the psychological impacts on people. I mean, you think of people struggling with addictions, being locked up to this degree. I mean, they're finished. They, they are not, there's absolutely awful circumstances to put them through. Uh, you think of the businesses that will go to the wall, and that will just that will really have a ruinous impact on lives and so many lives, un- unthinkable quantities of lives. And I wonder whether we are destroying more than we're pretending to save. I wonder whether we are hurting more lives than we're pretending to save. And I wonder whether actually this is politics, if not science, uh, because governments cannot be seen to be responsible for a spike. They, they will be finished politically and in the polls and all that kind of thing. And, and, and that's what's going on here. I, I, I look at this and I think, you know, I think Sweden's right. If they'd made better protection provision for the elderly, but done nonetheless otherwise what they did, uh, they would have made a good call. And maybe the government can't save us from everything. Uh, and maybe in trying to do so, they're actually causing more harm than good. That's sort of my preliminary view on this, Neil, and I've thought long and hard about it, but uh, that's what I see. Well, in so many respects, if you take an alternative view, uh, you look heartless, and uh, that's a concerning thing that you might be called heartless because you don't want to be heartless, because I think as Christian believers, we want to be compassionate and we want to be people who recognize reality so if i just come back to this uh, response though martin state of disaster uh, curfew 8 p.m till 5 a.m uh, the chief health officer and uh, police powers almost unlimited because of the idea of a state of disaster i think as i think it was state of emergency earlier now state of disaster which increases yes. powers and the idea that those are sort of unlimited powers that's the sort of thing that ought to send a shiver down every spine what are your thoughts on the unlimitedness here because just reflecting back to uh, the bushfire situation in victoria uh, from what I understand, uh, when there was a state of disaster declared, those sorts of unlimited powers were restricted to something like seven days. Now, I'm not sure what restrictions there might be on these unlimited powers now, but do they extend beyond that? Or what are your concerns about that word unlimited? Yeah, well, it is concerning. I mean, it, it does it does give um, uh, the government uh, and certain members of the government, like the police minister, the power to override any law. It's the sort of thing that you would you would basically not want to see happen ever unless in the most extreme of circumstances should they sadly come upon the state. Uh, and I guess from what I said before, I'm, I'm scratching my head and saying I, I, I just am not sure that this is the most extreme of circumstances, despite the media. And I understand people hearing that and going, well, you're crazy. Because I, I mean, the headline in one of the major newspapers the other day was, be afraid. That's literally what it said, be afraid. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's constructive. Uh, and of course, they're putting the um, coronavirus case numbers and so on on the front page every single day. But I'm sitting there going, what if they put the number of bankruptcies on the front page every day? What if they put the number of suicides 
on the front page every day. What if they put the number of businesses that have, filed, that have gone into voluntary administration on the front page every day? What if they put, what if they had some metric to describe the way in which uh, people's lives would be impacted by uh, the spiralling debt, which is over a quarter of a trillion dollars now spent on this crisis in Australia, which is unprecedented on every level and getting worse? The, the way that will impact uh, the, the next generation and, and, and their, their security in the future. You know, we're not keeping people safe, really. Uh, there's all sorts of other things to consider. And I think, actually, if those numbers were published, we'd suddenly see that perhaps there's more harm going on in other areas of the economy. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here being heartless. I'm actually thinking of the lives of individuals here as I say this. I'm appreciating the fact that there's no cost-free pathway through this. Uh, we're all we're going to have a cost somehow. And yeah, this, is, this is actually seriously impacting lives. And, you know, uh, therefore, I think that the uh, conferral of these extreme powers, is it really achieving what they're saying it's achieving, which is it's going to keep everyone safe? I'm not sure. Uh, and I think that the price we're paying in, in, just, in just flicking a switch and giving such incredible powers of government to such a small number and the ability to override laws is probably unwise. Well, while COVID-19 dominates the headlines, Martin, uh, that doesn't mean that other issues have all come to a standstill either. There's a number of concerns that are being raised around the idea of a second drug injecting room and uh, the rainbow re-education programs. Uh, What are your thoughts for what's going on and laws that are being passed without what might be an adequate headline alerting the people of Victoria? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, a good crisis can always provide a bit of a cover <laughs> for, for people. And, and I always say, you know, activists never sleep. Um, activists are always act, uh, you know, active in their cause and uh, they will take any opportunity that they can. And you're right. I mean, one of the things that's happened is that this drug injecting room stuff is really, because it's very, very unpopular. Uh, wherever you try and put a drug injecting room, you know, they were trying to put it near a school, I believe, earlier on. And, and of course, people don't like that and nobody wants to see it. And so, you try and keep those things out of the headlines, and there's nothing like a good crisis to slip it under the radar. So that plan is going ahead, even though the Melbourne City Council said, look, we, we, we don't want the drug injecting room in its current location. And so the government's now looking for another one, but they're, they're, they are forging ahead. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's interesting here in the ACT, where I am in, in Canberra, uh, the government is forging ahead with these sort of uh, LGBT conversion therapy laws, which we've talked about many times before, which are not really what it says on the tin. There's a bit of an agenda in these. Uh, They're pushing ahead with those as well during the coronavirus pandemic and uh, saying, oh, well, we can't consult, we can't have stakeholders come into the parliament because of the virus, and so we're just going to do private consultation with individuals about choosing. So, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, people people shouldn't trust the government too far with these things. There's always a little bit of uh, stuff like that going on in moments like this, very opportunistic. Hey, Israel Folau, back in the news. Well, I'm sure he's being reported on because he refused to take the knee overnight at the opening of his rugby match and being the only player on the field to do so. Uh, What are your thoughts about uh, his reaction there to uh, the ideal of the Black Lives Matter idea of taking the knee? Yeah, I think uh, I think Israel must have done his research. Uh, he must have looked up the movement and perhaps read the What We Believe statement on their website and um, sort of raised an eyebrow and thought, well, goodness gracious, as a Christian, I, I can't go along with all of this. 
Uh, and I always say to people, you know, um, it, it is difficult. This is another difficult one because with Black Lives Matter, they are on the outside uh, for such a un- incontrovertibly good cause. You know, you think, well, racial harmony, um, resolving racial disadvantage. We are all on board with that. And I say to people, hey, you show me somewhere where there's something racist happening, and I will stand with you to fight it. And I think most Australians feel the same way. Uh, Australians are people of goodwill and they, they hate racism as, as everybody ought to. Uh, but it's interesting, Black Lives Matter, hmm, that's what it says on the tin. But uh, in reality, Black Lives Matter is not, and I say this cautiously, it is not at its heart a racial reconciliation movement. Uh, it is at its heart a Marxist political cause. And that's not me saying that, that is them saying that. The founder of Black Lives Matter has been very, very overt and clear in stating that their ideological framework their politics are Marxist. She's been very clear that that phrase Black Lives Matter isn't really what they're about, that it's actually about a broader political issue. Uh, and, um, and if you go to their What We Believe statement on their website or look at their public comments, it's all very typically uh, Marxist and postmodernist. And they say, for example, they reject the nuclear family. And I think to myself, well, in African-American communities uh, over in the U.S., uh, the number one problem they've got is family breakdown. That's pretty horrific to say that when you claim to be for uh, you know, the black community. Um, so they, they reject the nuclear family. They reject maleness. They're anti-man. Uh, they are pro-queer and queer-affirming. Uh, they are pro-abortion. Uh, they are all sorts. I mean, you can go through it. It's extraordinary. Uh, all these things we just can't join hands with. They're also anti-forgiveness, pro-retribution. Uh, and as a Marxist movement, they're a revolutionary movement. Uh, and so that's why you see the violence and the anarchy and the looting. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's just the nature of the thing. So I think Israel Folau has done his research. And I think, unfortunately, for the poor guy, he's going to court some controversy over this. And I, I know that that's the last thing he wants. But as a man of conviction, I guess he stood on the field and he had these things in his head. And he thought, hey, look, he himself is, a, you know, as they would say, a person of colour. Uh, so, you know, you can't quite say that he's, he's, a, he's, he's uh, it's difficult to charge him with racism. Uh, but uh, he stood there and he thought of his faith and he saw sort of the things that he would be identifying with if he took a knee. Uh, and he did not do so. And I, again, I admire him for doing that. And I admire the courage that it takes to do that, especially on such a sensitive issue. And an issue, I think, on which people are not fully informed. They think it's all... Uh, it's all rosy, but it's not. This is a, a movement that stands for things that people don't realise are just not good. So good on him. Well, Israel Folau, no stranger to controversy and, as you say, refusing to take the knee. Well, he'll know that there'll be those who are not happy with that, but he's got a thick skin. He's proved that. So I guess uh, keep him in our prayers as well. Hey, Martin, while we're talking issues like Israel Folau and uh, given the history that's given him that notoriety, uh, issues around gender. Well, there's uh, some news uh, clinics acknowledging a social contagion problem with gender dysphoria what's happening in this field well this is very interesting and this is something that uh, has been taking place for a long time and many people have been trying to raise the alarm but there is an article in the australian today by bernard lane that points out there's a paper in the journal of the in uh, the journal of the american medical association and they are pro-trans you know if i could put it that way pro-treating children for trans for gender dysphoria However, they have acknowledged something. They have acknowledged that uh, there is a social contagion aspect to the enormous rise in gender dysphoric children over the past decade. 
They've done a study that shows that when there is a major positive news item or piece or media piece on transgenderism, they find that in the one to three week period following the launch of that piece, um, there is a surge in referrals to gender dysphoria and transgender clinics, uh, which is very interesting. And of course, they've done research before, which also shows that these um, gender dysphoria sort of um, it occurs in clusters where children in peer groups tend to all get it at the same time or around the same time. And this is very typical with impressionable children and that kind of thing. And it's not just in gender dysphoria, it's in many things where you can see it catch on. Uh, and you can see one child go down that path, the other child's interest is piqued, and then they suddenly go down that path, they start thinking about it. And this is the whole problem we have in this country. You have children going to these clinics and getting what's called affirmative treatment, which is that they are just affirmed uh, in, in, in the identity that they claim to have and nobody questions them, nobody pushes back on them. And before you know it, these poor kids are on hormone therapies and doing all sorts of dreadful things to their bodies, a lot of which causes irreversible change. Um, and people are raising the alarm and saying, this is almost a human rights abuse. This is, a, this is an awful thing to be doing to children. Um, there's been a 4,400% increase in, in, in female patients uh, at the British Tavistock Clinic, which is a, a gender dysphoria clinic between 2008-2018. A 1,767% rise in the Melbourne Clinic at the Royal Children's Hospital between 2012 and 2019. You know, these increases are, are alarming. And now there's a commensurate increase in people with transgender regret saying, hey, I was put on hormone therapy, I had surgery, I can't do anything about it, it's, it's changed me forever, and I regret it. And there's a young woman called Kira Bell uh, in the UK who's suing the Tavistock Clinic and saying, I was never questioned. I never had any pushback. It was all affirmative treatment. So this is a perfect storm. Uh, and I think parents need to be very careful about this, very circumspect with their children. If their children go through what is an awful thing, which is gender dysphoria and very painful, um, you know, they need to be very, very circumspect about what's going on here. And that is that these pro-trans messages are getting into kids' heads. Uh, and then those kids are going to clinics that aren't questioning them. Uh, and we're calling really for the health minister to launch an inquiry into this. Um, there is a bit of pressure on him to do so. We're trusting that as these new pieces continue to come out, uh, we can mount the pressure. Um, and, you know, if people want to contact his office and let them know that, uh, that they would love to see that happen because they're concerned for their children, that would be very helpful. Um, and it's something we're going to put pressure on in the coming months. Well, it's an issue that's not going away and the encouragement for listeners to be informed about what's going on when it comes to gender issues and you'll find resources on the website of the Australian Christian Lobby. Let me point you to that website, acl.org.au, acl.org.au. Martin Isles is the Managing Director for the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, always value your insights. Thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. My pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.